You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right. Hey, we're back again from the Ashes Podcast with Mateusz Przemdybu, a.k.a. Matt Detroit. And we have a special guest today. Uh, I've known this guy for a while. He is part of the Detroit Initiative uh, from the environmental aspect. He has his own nonprofit. I've uh, seen him. I've been out to his place. It's called Reroute Pontiac. And it's also has different branches starting in uh, Reroute Detroit, Reroute Flint. And he's got other initiatives in different areas of the United States. Uh, but welcome, John Wyrock. Thank you very much. So I've known you for a while, right? And I've seen, I wouldn't say expertise, but like a passion in in the environment, in biology, uh, in geology, things like that. Um, so I want to take like a step back and maybe describe your life when you were 14 years old. Like what were your interests? Like what was your day-to-day life like? I guess I had no idea what my interests were when I was 14. <laughs> okay, cool. I don't know. just trying to figure out who I was back then. Like okay. a lot of crazy stuff had happened in my life. Like my dad had gotten sick. Like our family had, you know, lost a lot of the financial stability we had. And I don't know. I guess I was just searching for who I was and kind of being an angry little kid. Like why? A little rebellious. Yeah. Why? Why these? I guess that was when I first discovered my entitlements. Like mm-hmm. I was used to a certain certain lifestyle and then it wasn't available anymore. And I didn't. I was mad. Why? It wasn't there. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, so we met in college, right? Yeah. And then I remember you already having an interest in biology and stuff like that. How how'd you get into that? Like going back to that, I mean, I was thrown out of high school when I was uh when I was in six when I was sixteen years old. So I was thrown out of high school, went to alternative education, got thrown out of there like five or six times, and then uh miraculously made it through and uh when I met you, we were, I was in college. I was 29, so I w- didn't go right to college. I mean, I I did dabble a little bit, but really, like, I didn't go back to college until someone paid me to do it. I always said I'd go back <laughs> when someone paid me to do it, and I, they did. So Nice. So uh, what was that through? That was through T-A-A-T-R-A. Okay. It was uh, if you outsource over 500 employees, you had to pay for them to be retrained. Or facilitate them to get a new job, and I, when that happened, I chose to get laid off and uh, go back to school. Go back to school. So they seems like it was kind of like a win-win situation where you're going back to school, but it's also for free. You get a chance to explore some more passions, things that interest you a lot. Kind of. Kind well, of. This program it was kind of set up for like trade retraining you could go to college as well but you could only get three years paid for and you chose what you wanted before you ever went in and that was what you got you could not deviate from that plan so when i went there i kind of i mean i'd been working like 60 hours a week like what is going to school when you're used to that so i went back and ended up getting two and a half degrees in three years so so yeah. so <laughs> to where some people like for me it took it took me 5 years and I was I I guess I could have went harder but like I I was I was definitely pushing myself to more than I uh was used to like especially in high school for me high school was super easy just kind of flew through it and then I came to college and 
I went into computer engineering. That was like a whole uh, different world. I wanted to get into it, but I was <clears throat> I wasn't really cut out for it. I could say, yeah. And um, it was it was just super tough. But but what you did two and a half degrees in three years. Yeah. So I did uh, a bachelor's in biology, a BS in biology. BS in environmental science with a concentration in resource management and sustainability, and then a minor in chemistry. Dang. So that's that. That's it right there. So this was all kind of like pre-planned when you when you got like you had to plan out your whole all your degrees or kind of like I went when I went back and talked to them. They're like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I told you I went to alternative education. You got to really choose what you wanted to take classes in. And that's when I found out I liked science. Like I took all kinds of science classes. I took pretty much everything that was offered at these alternative schools. And so I'm like, I don't know. How about biology? I went for biology, but you know, you think biology, I wasn't thinking like medicine and that's I went to Oakland university mm-hmm. and that's what their biology program, at least at the time was focused primarily on medicine. So I realized that wasn't really what I wanted to do, but I couldn't change it. If I changed it, I lost all my funding. Got you. So I just kind of jammed electives in there. Right. You just kind of maneuvered a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, fill the paperwork out right. And it's, uh-huh. this is all one thing. On paper, it looks it's, good. Until it's three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then you, um, so you, you, you had your biology in there and you're like, all right, so not really feeling like the whole medical field. And then you got into environmental stuff, right? Yeah. And throughout that time, did you kind of, uh, start thinking about like what you wanted to do after, or was it more so just like for me, for example, it's like I, I'll figure out when I graduate. I had no idea. I'm like I I can't look out too far in the future. Like when I'm in the dirt, I'm just like focused, and when I'm like out of it, like in the clouds, you know, thinking like long term and stuff. Then I'll think about. It. But while I was in college, I was totally like just concentrating on my next courses, my next yeah. exams, things like that. Yeah, I guess I was just grinding, getting all everything through. And I, I would joke around, you know, hanging out with some friends and stuff and be like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I always w- I want to get a job where they can pay me to walk around in the woods. <laughs> nice. I can see you doing that too. <laughs> so the first job I interviewed for out of, out of my bachelor's degree, I had already applied to my master's and it was a job, walk around the woods all by myself as a utility forester, you just walked around and walked around uh, power lines and said where there were trees close to them. Got you. And I turned that job down flat. That was really, yeah. Was it, um, what was the reason behind that? Well, I mean, it was, it wasn't too terrible of a job. It's just like the way that they were framing it. Like they were doing you a huge favor and you're going to work 10 to 12 hours a day plus drive time for six days a week and get paid a very low wage. And, well, we'll give you a car you can drive. Like this, it seemed like they were trying to the connotation yeah. how it was presented. It's, yeah, it's, it didn't seem like a very good place to place to be. So I, they offered these trainings and so forth, and it was like, if we we're going to invest in you, why would you stay here? And my answer was, good question. It doesn't seem like there's any reason why I would stay here. <laughs> Damn, right to them. That's cool. So okay, so. You start graduating or you get close to it. How, how does like starting a nonprofit come about in your eyes? Well, I mean, like I was telling you earlier, like I like to show people cool shit. Right. So, so we, uh, I learned all this cool stuff and these crazy interactions about how these 
complicated environmental topics feed into each other and react with each other. And I can see both in the schooling, both in the university and in previous schooling, like no one really sees how it all works. It's all standalone topics. Yeah. But it really interacts very complicated, like interaction levels. And so I don't know. I just started trying to show people some cool hands-on stuff. And then when I went to go do my master's, I did my master's and I started my master's in geology at Wayne State. Okay. So you did your bachelor's in Oakland, right? Yeah. And like time frame, like what was that around? So I finished in 2015. 2015. And then like at this point was where you just kind of like showing it, like educating other people about it? Um, or was this like after you got? Well, at that point I applied to like 600 jobs, like all kinds of stuff. And uh, that's when I learned like you need to apply for a job a year before you need a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And so by the time they started calling me back for jobs, I'd already been accepted to this program. I'd gotten a scholarship. So now I'm in geology trying to figure out what's going on there. And, you know, I got a graduate assistantship mm-hmm. and that graduate assistantship was analyzing soil heavy metal composition. So looking at urban gardens and looking at heavy metals and contaminants in those soils and then looking at bacteria and like how different bacteria grow on on plants and in the soil and how the heavy metals and other contaminants affect like antibiotic resistance genes was what we were looking at. Okay. I took all my samples and sent them all out and the guy who was supposed to run them all had some immigration issues. Damn. So I sat there for like six months waiting for data. So that's where the nonprofit really came about. It was like developing these programs and projects and like showing how we can set up these garden beds by growing and cultivating this ecological community in the soil prior to putting the garden in. And you've seen the garden now. It hasn't been watered in two years and it's still growing strong. Yeah, definitely. So like we have all these cool projects where it's not so much like I'm teaching you as I'm showing you. Right. You can see this. You can feel this. You can smell it. You can... You're part of it. You're part of it. Like you just dumped your coffee grounds in this bucket over here and you see like what it looks like two weeks later, four weeks later, six months later, and then you're putting it on the garden a couple weeks after that. So That's nuts. For me, I feel like how how do you go about like let's say someone's – it seems like this came from within. No one really told you to start a nonprofit. It seemed kind of like natural like from the outside at least. But, like, I really want to, like, kind of, like, figure out how it came about. It, was it just kind of, like, doing research and saying, like, well, this would fit? Or, I mean, you, you even, like, the land property you have in Pontiac, you have a whole bunch of lots. And you work with, through, with the government, correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah, so uh, we're working largely with the county, a little bit with the city. Mm-hmm. And um, you, it's just been growing. I've, I've been seeing it. It's, it's, it hasn't been that long. And there's there's that whole garden you got going on and you have a team of like different people and different aspects that they help you out with stuff. Um, so that for me, that's that's super interesting. It's where you kind of take an idea that you have and um, you roll with it and it starts growing and growing. And then when someone sees it at like a stage where it's already ha- has some legs on it, it's like there's a lot of um, – Un- unknown things going on behind the scenes. So I want to talk a little bit about how did you, what was it like that your, your thought process behind when you were going into starting this? Was it just, I'm just going to start and do something out of just, you know, 
the I'm waiting for data from this one guy who had immigration <laughs> problems or was it like I know where I see this in five years and these are the steps I need to take? Well, I think it kind of goes back to that stubborn 14-year-old kid that was just angry with the world and too smart for his own good. Like, I guess I came from a place where no one could tell me anything. I, I got you. I, I needed to experience it in order to believe it. I've, I've done many, many things that people have told me not to, to my, to my own detriment. So, Do you think you were born like that, like a personality trait? Or do you think you, it, um, it's something that people, like, through the environment, like, gets into them? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Like, it depends. Like, yeah, yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of both. It's like how your your upbringing is, and yeah, and then kind of how you perceive things. Like, if you if you get things a little faster than other people, then you already understand what it is. By the time someone's done explaining it, like you've already moved on to the next thing, which is kind of how I was with a little kid as a younger kid. Which is where that too smart for my own good came from because I'd only listened to half of that explanation. And then I, I already know it all. So I don't need it anymore. So, <laughs> so I'll learn it the hard way later. Yeah, because I, I feel like a lot of people that go out and do things on their own, they it's not that they're um, incapable of like learning or getting taught something. It's just they, they want to experience it on their own. And I, I feel like that's like a pretty common thing between a lot of whether it's an entrepreneur or someone that just goes on the like unbeaten path where it's they they're they do have like maybe it's like a chip on their shoulder or it's like a, or just something about them where they're just like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like, but it's just something doesn't rub me the right way. Like, it's I, I got to do it on my own. And I, I see that in you. I and, and like that's something that's like super cool to see because it's like i it's it's not common it's really not yeah we've definitely learned many of our lessons the hard way so i guess you learn them better that way and you understand why you need to do it the other way yeah yeah that's true that's true so like right now what in uh reroute pontiac obviously you got expansions going on talk to me a little about like what what's your kind of plans for the next year or this year this year, we got some cool stuff coming up in the spring here. So we have a bunch of partnerships with people in the community. Uh, there are many groups in the area who are going to be coming together this spring to install a stage and like a, like a gathering area as well. We had – I've shown you a little bit about this before. We had some issues with some white supremacists in our neighborhood. <laughs> so it's odd that that would be the case here, but it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had chickens in an area. They didn't like our chickens. And then they found out our neighbors were helping to feed the chickens. And it was a Puerto Rican lesbian couple. And okay. uh, they didn't like that. So they started harassing them, attacking their property, vandalizing their property, and eventually attacking them. And Jeez. it was a real shitty situation because then they called, they attacked them and then called the police on them. And then got them arrested for assault and battery for being attacked. That's insane. So th- they did the attacking. Yep. And then the lesbian couple got arrested for it. Yep, because her dad had shown up and he, the guy had run, tried to attack him and he pulled a knife out and said, I'm not going to fight you. So he said, oh, they pulled weapons on me. Oh, my God. So there's because, some awful people out there. Because of that, we had to go to court. Over the course of like six months, I think it was seven or eight court dates we had to go to. 
until finally three times in a row they didn't show up and they threw the court case out. It was a whole ordeal getting there. That's brutal. That's just like a random obstacle you don't even think about. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it was crappy and it was bad for everybody involved, especially because our neighbors didn't realize that they had rights in that situation, that they could have explained this as a hate crime. Yeah. They didn't they just thought, well, stuff like that happens to people like us. And that's we, so sad still, you know. We had to very much like be like, no, like do not plead guilty to this. This is ridiculous. Like I will stand here with you every time you go to court to have you not just lay down and let these people do whatever the hell they want. So what we're doing now this spring is we're trying to build the stage and set this gathering area up and have a celebration of diversity. Nice. So we're going to try to bring a whole bunch of different groups from the community together and uh, have a big gay May event. So we're looking at having uh, – <laughs> You guys so, do a parade over there. Well, we're, we're talking about that actually. Oh, yeah? So, nice. Yeah, we're talking to a couple of different bands. We're looking to talk to Detroit Party Marching Band about mm-hmm. coming out and doing a little parade around yeah. the neighborhood. And uh, yeah, so we're going to have a big celebration of diversity and we're trying to have a bunch of – drag queen announcers and like have a big big theme whatever you know it's a celebration diversity dress up however you want yeah (laughs) like that big parade downtown that's like uh celebrating like the day of the devil or something uh the nain rouge yeah yeah that one and they walk down they should do a little little branch in pontiac yeah stop by through the neighborhood yeah um Okay, cool. So you guys got that going on. I know you, you guys have been doing like a lot of work and whether it's Puerto Rico or like through Detroit. Yeah. I mean, it, down in the city, I think that's starting to get like a pretty good initiative of, uh, like the urban gardens, the environmental stuff to where they're trying to like bring like nature back into the city, which has like tons of benefits to it. Um, are you involved in that in any way? Yes, actually. Uh, so. We just started Rear Environmental, which is an L3C. It's a low-profit corporation, so it is a social entrepreneurship. So we give back to the community, take a large portion of the profits that we make and we put back towards our mission. And so we set up uh, Rear Environmental because we became the certification trainers for the National Green Infrastructure Certification Program for this side of Michigan. There's two in Michigan. It will be Grand Rapids Community College and Reroute Environmental. So all of Southeast, all the Eastern side of the state is Reroute Environmental training people for green infrastructure, which is really, really cool because it's this professional certification in this new engineering field that's just coming out that only requires a high school equivalency. Okay. So going through this training, like I'm guessing it'd be people that were interested in the environment. Mm-hmm. And they come to you guys and they get trained. What do they get trained in? So they get trained in like what is stormwater? So first off, the majority of stormwater that used to fall on the ground would fall on the ground and infiltrate right there. Now in our developed cities with our neighborhoods, even the areas that aren't covered in buildings or concrete is set up so that it drains. So we drained all of our wetlands. We drained all of our swamps, all of our filtration devices for stormwater that would retain that are gone. And then we made it so that all of our water just immediately rushes out of the area, taking all of those toxins off of the top of the ground, all of the, you know, animal waste, all of the the toxins from vehicles, from industry, all that kind of stuff just washes right out into our waterways. 
and has degraded a large amount of our, you know, water quality. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in the metro Detroit area, you hear about like the beaches being like closed and whatnot and, and all the like random just just like waste. It's starting to get like pretty bad. Like I even heard about like some people like they'll fish in Detroit River, but like sometimes like the fish just aren't like you're not supposed to eat them or something like that. Yeah. There's, we were actually, I was actually reading that study the other day where they were talking about uh, Detroit anglers and how so many people had heavy metal concentrations in their blood because of it. Jeez. Yeah. So it's getting pretty bad. So, so w- with this training, you guys are basically going in and so there's like the, the big picture of what you get with this training. So let's say someone's listening and they want to like sign up. They're like, oh, this is a cool opportunity. I've always been kind of interested in this. And like, what's going to happen? <laughs> so we would train them on the different types of green infrastructure, the materials, uh, the practices to install, the practices. But the big part of it is the practices to maintain these green infrastructure installations. So I would suggest if people were interested to check out uh, ngicp.org. That will have a lot of the information about the certification itself. And then uh, Reroute Environmental just – we're just – opening up the doors of the website. So there's Reroot GI, which is really just a landing page right now, but we're developing it pretty quickly. And we have, uh, you know, applications for training there as well. Okay. So basically you guys are like the go-to shop to get like trained. Mm-hmm. And then with that, once they get their training, they can go out and with this, I guess, certification, they can get jobs in this field or is there... So yes, it's a, it's a professional certification. So like you would have your resume, and then you would be GIP, Green Infrastructure Professional, after your name. Gotcha. Uh, we've spoken with Detroit Water and Sewer Department and a couple other municipalities, and a lot of uh, Detroit DWSD, for sure, is changing all of their requests for proposals. So a lot of these companies can't even apply to these contracts without having a fully certified workforce. These um. companies need people that have this certification. And we're really trying to push to get some funding coming in so that we can do workforce development training where we take people who are under and unemployed, get them certified so that they can become leaders in this new field. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm starting to connect the picture. So basically, there's all these companies who are trying to make stuff happen, but there's these restrictions where the, the, the workers have to be certified. And then since you guys can train these work, these potential workers, these future workers – they can come to you and then maybe you can help them connect them with people that need uh, a labor force that is certified. And then it's like an easier route to stay in the city, help the city and um, be a part of like a growing change. I feel like it's uh, environmental stuff has been around for a while. It's nothing like brand new, but I think there's this huge like wave coming up. I feel this certification specifically, people have been talking about the new green collar workforce jobs that are coming in for 20 years now. Yeah. And I feel like this certification is the actual beginning of that. Um, we've talked about infrastructure a little bit before, but I mean, gray infrastructure, traditional like pipes in the ground infrastructure is very expensive. Just mm-hmm. imagine you have to replace all of the sewers along Woodward. Jeez. Where you have to rip up the entire road, all the sidewalks put new pipes in, move all that dirt, rebury them. Like, it's a lot. And a lot of these communities, these... these all the poles, all the lights, everything. You know? And then all of these these heavily packed urban communities, 
Those sewers were only supposed to last for 50 years before they were redone. They've been there for 150 years now. <laughs> so that's why a lot of these these urban areas experience so much flooding because those those that system was not designed for the way the climate is now. We need something to be able to facilitate it func- its function without overwhelming it. So that's where green infrastructure really comes in. It's orders of magnitude less expensive to install as long as you can maintain it. And that's where it's been being installed, but it hasn't been being maintained or it hasn't been installed in a standard format where the next person that comes in thinks it needs to be redone differently. So your costs are just, you know, out of control because people are ripping it out and putting it in, ripping it out and putting it in. So this certification really kind of standardizes the field. So it becomes more affordable. It becomes easier to maintain. Everything is done in a standard format and then you can see what works, what doesn't, and how to get it done without having it cost everybody a bunch of money. So this is like a national thing. This is like all over. Like this, this, this is the standard that a bunch of like I guess scientists got together and said, "Hey, this is how we need to do it." I'm sure people were like dumping money into this, and it was getting, it wasn't getting maintained, and they're like, "Oh, this is a waste of money. We shouldn't do this." And they're like, "No, like yeah. this will work, but." It's got to be done properly, right? Yeah, and everybody has to be on the same page. It's like when the sustainability field first came out, what does sustainability mean? You ask five people, you're going to get five different answers. Same thing with green infrastructure. A lot of times people will be like, oh, it means stormwater. Oh, it means a forest. Oh, it means a field of grass. Like, no, like (laughs) this is green stormwater infrastructure, and it's trying to define its form and function the materials that are used for it so that you don't have to go back and revisit it over and over again. Gotcha. So it's basically probably, it's probably been tested. Every the science behind us, it works. And now we just need to like, make sure everyone's on board and not just doing their own thing. Well, it's been around for years. So it's been around for many years. It's just, I, a lot of people don't understand it or they don't understand the different applications of it. And some areas are new. Some areas are tried and true. I remember uh, we had gone to Oakland County and talked about some projects we had at River Pontiac and how we were going to do green infrastructure and we're going to train community members on it. And some of the engineers were like, stop talking right now. Like, we're not going to talk about green infrastructure because we don't understand it. and We don't have time to to learn it again. And they they wanted – they they said that they would be willing to embrace it as soon as they had a trained and certified workforce. Well, now there's an opportunity for that. There's this certification that's accredited and international. It's now in New Zealand. It's in Canada. They're looking to expand to other places as well. So this is so this is all really new. And like there's it's so this has been this problem has been around for a while. Yeah. And now they're finally like, all right, how do we overcome this problem of people not knowing the knowledge behind it? It's like okay, it's there's. We learned it back in the day, whether it was college or whatever, but it hasn't been applied. And now there's this like force behind it that says this is the standard and you're part of that force by knowing the training you you, you are can give out the certificates for it. And now these people can come through and get trained with it and basically get a good opportunity in something that they might have not had. Uh, ability to if they're you know don't have a college degree or something they can get a good career out of it and help the environment basically yeah still have to uh 
take a test. So, okay. so we we uh, we provide the training, right? But people will still have to take the test to to get the certification. I guess I kind of lost a little bit of that question there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it wasn't even. I, I, I'm just trying to make sure I like. I feel dumb. Like I don't even know. Like I'm just trying to like collect it all. But basically, that's that's what it sounds like, right? Well, like I was saying, just showing people some cool shit. Yeah. So, so one of the things, like when I was doing my my PhD exams and stuff, they were one of the big topics was green engineering, and it was it was just laughable to me. So it's like, wait a minute. I looked outside, and it works better if I do it that way. So that's what green engineering is. It's looking to a natural model and not wasting. Nothing is wasted in nature. And so that's what we're trying to do with green infrastructure is take this small area of land that's available and make these natural processes most efficient in that little little strip of land. So if it can take on in a tenth of an acre the same amount of water that two and a half acres would take on naturally and do the same treatment to it, then – that's pretty good installation right there and it yeah. supports everything else. And that's like, that makes perfect sense in like urban environment because often, you know, nowhere it's, it's pretty cool, but inside a city where there's, there's a big need for it because there's so much, or, or I should say a lack of nature and the whole environment and there's so much people and whatnot that these, these urban gardens are pretty important for, um, just sustainability. Is it, is it, uh, is it just holding in water? Is there is it like a garden where there's vegetables and stuff on top? Or so the green infrastructure. So our garden is in Pontiac that you're. I think mm-hmm. you're talking about now is we set it up as a green infrastructure installation. Gotcha. So all the water that falls onto it is not leaving. It doesn't matter how hard it rains. We put enough organic matter on there that all that water is going right in the ground. And then all around it, we actually have rain gardens and deep rooted native plants that are going to help to draw all that water into the ground and hold it in that soil there. So gardens can function as green infrastructure if they're set up correctly, but they are not inherently green infrastructure. So what we're talking about this certification, it'd be more like setting it up between the sidewalk and the street to take all of the road, the water off of the road. Okay. And so the, so the point of it is to just the, the toxins and everything that's uh, just from the street to kind of hold that in instead of yeah. having it go to the water? Yeah. So it'll like take the the toxins. It'll take heavy metals, VOCs, all that kind of stuff and put it in there. And then you have all these native plant communities. Those native plant communities create habitat. It increases biodiversity in the area. It increases environmental health. And it's been shown that in a healthy environment, people are healthier. Because you don't have a lot of these stressors because the natural community around you takes care of it. So you don't have a lot of bacteria coming in because you have plants and fungus and all this kind of stuff that are filtering that water. You don't have like a lot of the exposure that you would have to dust because all of the particulate matter is being attached to the leaves of trees and the plants that are in these communities. That's so wild. And it's one of those things where it's like you you don't really – it's hard to measure the benefits of this just at a face value. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at from a point of view of like like a governor or someone who is trying to, you know, look at this and analyze or people in charge. And it's like this is super beneficial yeah. from like all different aspects for ourselves, for the city, for um, the the whole world. And from a knowledge base, like coming from this kind of standpoint where we're integrating more uh, nature and stuff like that into – these 
big gigantic cities that we made like Lego blocks out of nowhere. And it's it's I think there's do, do you feel like there's a big wave coming of like going back to like the national? You think it's not there yet? Well, I think it's already coming. I think okay. there's a lot of pushback against it. Oh, and I have a a little saying. It's uh, America, hard stuff's hard, and I don't have to. And that's the thought process that a lot of people that are pushing back against this have. It's I don't understand that. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. I have to look at forty things and how they interact all at the same time, and I just don't have the bandwidth for that. And that's fine. Some people are busy. Other people can look at that, and just because you don't understand it at first glance doesn't mean it isn't functional. This stuff functions. It's very complex and it's been around forever. I mean, that's how nature, it's how everything around us evolved. We have recently come in and messed it all up so quickly. And it's not so much that what we did, it's the natural processes that we have disturbed. Gotcha. So it's these natural cycles that are regenerative. Well, we cut them off and now they can't regenerate themselves. So putting things like this back in place to allow that regenerative cycle to continue is what's going to, you know, save us here. Jeez, that's like a it's like a metaphor. It's like you start like drinking and smoking and all this bad stuff for you. And then on top of that, you cut off like good nutritional food. Yeah. So it's like your body could recover, but it's, it's not even getting the stuff it needs to recover from it. Yeah. And that's that's our world. <laughs> That's nuts. So, like, what, what what else have you been doing, like, in Puerto Rico and stuff? Is that the same thing, just to getting them trained out there? Kind of. I've actually – so we're we're working on collaborative engagement with the University of Puerto Rico, uh, Casa Pueblo, which is a really cool organization in Puerto Rico. A couple other organizations like Solar Puerto Rico. There's a couple that we're working with. But uh, we've been teaching uh, mushrooms for sustainability. So we're hmm. teaching people how to use agricultural waste – and how to inoculate, uh, like fallen trees. What's, what's inoculate mean? It means like to introduce. Okay. So we are essentially taking little plugs, little like dowel rods, like you'd put furniture together with. And they're, they have mushrooms growing in them. Hmm. So the main body of a mushroom is this thread like structure that actually grows through whatever it's eating. So we take those and we drill a bunch of holes in the log, pound them in there, cover it in wax so it doesn't dry out. Then a couple months later, that log will flush with mushrooms, and there you go. You got a food source right there. Dang, so that's cool. So, and that—that's because I mean, mushrooms. I always think of like like pretty cool, cold, dark, damp areas, but it's, it's all different types. There's oh, many. Okay, <laughs> so that's where I uh, in the community in Pontiac we do a lot of these mushroom projects, and people come up and be like, "I don't like mushrooms." Like, what kind of mushrooms have you seen before? Have you seen one type of mushroom? Maybe two? Like there are as many mushrooms as there are plants. Saying you don't like mushrooms is like saying I don't like plants. Right. Like there's lots of different types of plants. There's different flavors, textures, colors. Like same with mushrooms. And there's lots of different uses for them as well. Like uh, I was saying earlier about bacteria. Mm-hmm. There's oyster mushrooms have just been classified as the first predatory mushroom. They will sense if an E. coli bacteria has gone by and follow it and eat it. Damn. So there's mycofiltration where they take, they'll take water and they'll run it through like a bed of oyster mushrooms or a couple other different ki- ty- yeah, types. And, uh, it'll actually eat like 99% of the bacteria out of it. In, uh, the Northwest, they've actually done that to cattle fields where these cattle field runoff was actually killing oyster beds. 
just stuck a bunch of straw and mushrooms in the ditches and the problem was taken care of. That's insane. See, I, I remember I watched this um, documentary. I think it was called Sustainable. I don't know. But there was like – it was a whole like farming industry and now they would always use pesticides to kill off bugs and whatnot and to prevent it. And it was just kind of like debilitating the whole like – environment to the point where the, all the runoff was going on and none of the natural cycles of the seasons of just, you know, once you cut the crops and then you, uh, w- whatever happens, I, I, I'm not really an expert on this, but basically it was, it was allowing it to stay in, in a natural pattern. And then when they took, when they added all the stuff and it couldn't do that. And now the new things that they would add in would be like mushrooms or like clover leaves and all these like random weird natural plants and funguses and it was like a better pesticide uh, than the man-made ones and it was obviously more you know beneficial it's organic or whatever where it's like healthier for us and it's like a win-win-win like there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing it yeah well the only reason like i said before is the only reason we're not doing it is because it's easier it's easier for people to think one thing yeah so if you have to, to stick think- with the same thing or whatever yeah so what, what do you think it it's gonna take to basically start i the, the ball is rolling like yeah. the the standards out there and this um national team of that's giving out certificates and whatnot it's that's i think a super good step is there anything um you see that like needs to happen uh, is it just kind of like a lot of push from like like people like yourselves where it's like you guys like get in with the politicians or like – Well, I mean it's – Baby steps? It's almost not. It's kind of baby steps. If you try to push for too big of a step, then you kind of push away. So that's where people ask me what I do and I tell them I show people cool shit. And then so cool. I just show somebody something cool and I'll show them something else that's really cool. And I'll show them something else and show them how those things are connected. And if they like those things – and they're interested in how those things are connected, then I'll teach them about it. But that person has to develop their own interest before you try to teach them about something, especially when it's something that's in this this level of systems thinking. Because if you confuse somebody right off the get-go, they're not going to ever develop this interest. You're essentially pushing them away. Down. Yeah. yeah. So that's where like a lot of people in science and school, math and science, it's like, here's a whole bunch of stuff really fast and you don't get it and do it anyway. <laughs> like. Yeah, but you you are forcing people away from developing their own interest in doing it that way. Yeah. That's why I just kind of like to show people what's up, like show them how these things work. When you see them, when you – I mean that the senses are important. Like if you see it, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can smell it, you can, you know, see all the cool things interacting together. Yeah, it really is. It's one of those situations where you like – I remember going out there and it was all kind of like integrated. And then the I, – I forget the metaphors you told me, but it's uh, – you compared it to certain things. I'm like it's so easy to grasp. And like I got like – I've always been – I guess not always, but ever since my dad got sick, like I – our whole family kind of like looked into like specifically foods and whatnot and like organic eating and like health benefits and whatnot. And then ever since then, I just I remember coming to you and then just thinking about like how um, how to like have sustainable foods and like in in sustainable environment around us. And like it's it it is it's kind of like at my own pace sort of thing where it's like I can't take all this in, you know, I'm, I'm busy, too. But like 
planting that seed I think is super important because when you plant that seed, like they they will be able to listen for more information like that. Like now if there's an article about like mushrooms or something or like fungi coming out or or the the you know, natural pesticides where they introduce things like I'll read about it and like I, I start getting more familiarized about it. And I think that's that's it's pretty crucial and I, that's that's really cool how you do it. Yeah. I like to tell people a lot it's not about knowing, it's about understanding. Because knowing is hard and fixed and understanding is fluid. Because you can always incorporate new information into your understanding. It's hard to change something you already know. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, I, I think that's – and usually to, to change a lot of people, unfortunately, it takes like a, a very big like negative thing to happen, whether it's uh, health patterns or environmental patterns. Like, I mean – there's a I mean, mouse here too, and like that's we're happened. still People not changing. Still and it's like it's Elon Musk talks about it. He's like, it's sad to me. I, I've tried so hard. I've literally like gave it everything I have, and like people are just not like, it, it's like impossible problem to fix. Where it's like people are just not getting around and changing their way of their waste or the whether it's trash or whether it's like CO two emissions things like that. And I think his solution was just like make something that's easy to understand and it's cool and it's fun and like Tesla cars, you know, they're like cool and fun and whatnot and they're fast and they look cool. People are like, oh, yeah. But like the whole thing about it was like I had to do all this amount of work just for you to like get more environmental behind it. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, I, that's that's like that's us as humans. So that's what he was talking about, is developing that interest. You ha- you can't just throw something at somebody and ha- hope they develop that interest. You have to cultivate that interest a little bit. So that uh, brings us to the, the, the mission of Rear Pontiac and Rear Detroit is developing an in- interest in awesome and transforming blight and opportunity. Damn. So it's like just show you this cool stuff and then let's turn this into something cooler. You know? <laughs> Say that one more time. I thought that was so cool. Uh, developing interest in awesome and transforming blight into opportunity. That's beautiful. So I have a couple questions still. Uh, one of them was, do you have a like, five-year plan for reroute environmental? Is that like the parent company? Or? Yes. Okay. So we, we realized that when we had reroute Pontiac that we couldn't train people in Detroit with reroute Pontiac. We couldn't train people in Flint with Rear Detroit, and because we, we, I tried at Wayne State, I was trying to talk to people about getting involved in this cool stuff we have going on. And as soon as the word Pontiac came up, like most people were just like, "Oh, I can never see mind. that." Yeah. So, so we really brought out Rear Environmental because we have this training opportunity, and Rear Environmental is really more than just training. It's looking at trying to help people to develop their own businesses in green infrastructure. So it's giving people like the apprenticeship to develop their further knowledge in green infrastructure and the ins and outs of all these different installations, as well as like how to maintain your equipment, pay your employees, make sure that you have your legal structure figured out. Like Real applicable stuff right there. Yeah. So, but that that allows us to do something different than the non community nonprofits. The community nonprofits are more more just looking at this community. These are the environmental justice topics that are in facing this community. So we're going to 
do some cool installations to raise awareness of what feeds into those topics and how how those topics affect your life, how you and the way that your behavior behaviors function influence those environmental justice topics and how you can adjust policy to address those environmental justice topics as well. Hmm. Yeah, I think like the whole the whole thing, cool thing you guys got going on is that I seem to have effect on me is just like opening my eyes to this. And obviously, it's it's one thing to just like read an article or hear about it through this and that and passing, but like actually like being like involved with it, even to me, at just a small degree, I can really see this just really giving a lot of opportunity and moving in the right direction. And that's that was like one of the reasons why I brought you on. Obviously, knowing you for a while and being a cool guy, that too, but like. The, the mission you're trying to do in Detroit and possibly moving on into other states too? or Because I'm not sure if this exists in like every state. Well, I mean, really, we're looking at partnering with community nonprofits that are existing in some of these areas. Are some, there's some areas that have these more integrated community nonprofits. I mean, there's lots of places that are doing urban gardening. There's lots of places that are doing environmental awareness. There's not very many organizations that are kind of incorporating it all into a whole. Uh, so I'd love to help to bring those organizations to come come together to do that in their areas. And then, you know, if we can facilitate the advancement of green infrastructure in their field and help communities to, you know, raise up and address these environmental issues that impact their communities, that would be awesome. That's great. Um, before I last ask my last question, where can uh, the listeners find you, whether it's websites or on social media, where, where they can learn more about you and what you're doing? So I'm all over the place. <laughs> but uh, So there is rerootpontiac.org is uh, our website. We also have rerootgi.com, and that is more for reroot environmental and the training organization. Uh, we can find me, Jonathan Wyrock. I'm on all the, all the platforms. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to be – Back and forth to Puerto Rico, looking at doing workforce development out there in Detroit, in Pontiac, looking to go up to Flint here as well. And, yeah. Got it going from there. Awesome. Cool. All right. So last question. Uh, I like to ask my guests this. Do you think entrepreneurship is something that can be taught or is something you're born with? Um, I think it can be taught. I guess it just you have to be okay with being uncomfortable. I saw a TED talk the other day that you being uncomfortable is the the pre is the first step to, towards success, and uh, it was an individual who took cold showers every day to prove that he was okay being uncomfortable. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the, on here. Uh, hopefully, all the listeners got uh, some good information out of there, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.